On? There we go. All right. Good morning. Uh, welcome again, church family. Minasan ohayo gozaimasu. It's good to be here. Good to see some of your smiling faces, all of your smiling faces. Um, what a blessing from the Lord. I know many are uh, still streaming as well, and so we are uh, very blessed to have you with us online. And uh, do pray that the Lord ministers to each and every one of us from wherever you may be uh, receiving this word, and, and whenever too, I guess it can be posted later, and you could be watching it later in the day. So just however the Lord uh, chooses to use it, hopefully it's to his honor and glory. Uh, we've got a lot of things to get through this morning, and uh, I actually would like to keep our meeting together a little shorter than usual in order to help minimize our exposure, to ease back into things a little bit. Uh, I do not make any guarantees, though. So just know that I tried, and that was my heart. My notes still ended up being pretty long. So, um, but uh, before we move all along, any let's go ahead and dismiss those that would like to go to uh, children's ministry class. We can dismiss those ones uh, at this time. And then uh, one of the things that we want to do this morning is to be able to pray for those families who will be PCSing this week. Um, and I know for sure that... Um, the Ertel family, they messaged me. Uh, this is their last Sunday with us. Hopefully they're streaming right now. They've usually been pretty faithful to stream. Uh, I've seen them on there. Um, and so we want to pray for uh, the Ertel family. Uh, they're heading out. They're going to be heading to uh, Buford. And I believe uh, Dan's transitioning to a new platform. Uh, so that's kind of exciting uh, changes for that family, for the Ertel family. But if you are... PCSing before next Sunday, and we're not going to be able to see you before then. Uh, if you're streaming online, if anybody, I look out, I don't think that's anybody that's here, but if you're streaming online and that's you, uh, comment in the Facebook section. I have my phone up here. I have it all on manner mode, but I want to be able to see because there is a slight delay. Um, there's about a 30-second delay or so from, uh, and so when we say, hey, anybody you know, leaving, and then I don't give you opportunity to say so, and we move on. So what we're going to do is, uh, before we pray for those families, we have another thing that we're going to be doing here this morning, and that is a baby dedication. So we're very excited. Yes, praise the Lord for that. Yes. Um, and so uh, because there is that uh, delay, we're going to go ahead and move forward with the baby dedication. And if you're streaming right now, and you're not going to be here next Sunday because you're PCSing, write in the, the Facebook uh, comment section and, and let us know so that we can be praying for you as well. Okay? But before we do that, uh, the Maxwell family is going to be um, actually heading out uh, this week. Uh, they're going to be heading back stateside. Uh, they hope to return. We hope that they will return. Uh, August time frame. Um, we've actually, actually, we've had a couple new additions to the church family during this COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Um, and so we have one of them with us here this morning. Uh, we have dad uh, of uh, Samuel uh, with us as well. The uh, uh, Chance and, and Melissa and uh, last name, Trumbetty. From Betty family. Uh, so uh, they had a, a, a new one, and um, Melissa and Baby are uh, doing well, so continue to pray for them, okay? But uh, this morning, we are going to be doing a baby dedication for uh, the Maxwell's newest uh, firstborn daughter. Uh, very excited for you guys, and uh, they have with them uh, their baby, Emery Magnolia Maxwell. 
And uh, so we're excited to be able to do that. But before we do that, before I have you guys come up, I want to be able to just uh, take a couple minutes to explain what it is that we're doing here this morning. If you've never been with us before, or maybe you're streaming, you're like, what is a baby dedication? What does it mean? Um, a baby dedication is something that uh, parents decide to do as a way of making a public commitment to the Lord and to the church family to raise their child in the ways of the Lord. Uh, a baby dedication has nothing to do with salvation. I want to make sure that we understand that. Okay, We believe and teach that salvation is a personal decision uh, that someone consciously makes uh, on their own. And so uh, we do not believe that babies are, are capable of that kind of decision. They're not able to express that sort of com uh, decision. So this is not, has any, doesn't have anything to do with the salvation of the baby. So what this really amounts to is a dedication to a way of life. Okay, it's, a, it's a way of upbringing that the parents commit to. The parents are making a commitment to raise their child in the ways of the Lord, that as the scriptures speak, when they are old, they will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, verse 6. So we lift the life of the child to the Lord, ask for his blessings and his protection and his provision to be upon the child and the parents as they journey through this life. And we usually like to do it in front of the church because you all get to stand not only just as witnesses to this public dedication, but even more so by participating in this dedication, you commit to coming alongside the parents to help them in their pursuit of raising their babies, their children uh, in the ways of the Lord. You know, some have asked before, I've been asked, you know, is this biblical? Are baby dedications biblical? And, and while we do not see uh, it established as something that's regularly done in the first century church, we don't see it written about in, the, in some of the epistles and in, in Acts, um, we do see biblical evidence of baby dedications. Uh, Samuel, who we will be referring to in our study later today, uh, was the firstborn child of Hannah. She was she dedicated him to the Lord and to his service. We read about that in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Um, and then Jesus himself was even dedicated uh, to the Lord in fulfillment of the Mosaic law that required the dedication of all firstborn uh, to the Lord. In Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 22 uh, through 24, it talks about that. And while what we're doing here this morning is not the same as what Samuel uh, did and what Hannah did for Samuel and what uh, Mary and Joseph did for Jesus, uh, we do see a general principle that we can look to follow regarding uh, children. Children are a gift from the Lord. Psalm 127 verse 3 says that they are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And a baby dedication is a way to acknowledge that gift from the Lord and to give him thanks and to bring honor to the Lord. And so that's what we're going to do here this morning. And so I'm going to have uh, the Maxwell family uh, come on up here uh, with Emery Magnolia. And we can thank the Lord for this wonderful gift and pray for them. All right. How are you guys? Good. Is she going to come to me, you think? Yeah. Yeah? She's full. She's full? Okay. She's no sudden up. movements then. Okay. She might want to pass. All right. So you never did the dress thing in our household. Yeah. Too many boys. <laughs> Too many boys. What a tremendous blessing. Well, let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your blessings upon the Maxwell family. Lord, we thank you for Emery Magnolia. We thank you for the life that you've given to her. And Lord, we thank you that um, she truly is uh, a gift from you, a heritage, a reward. Uh, and so, Lord, we just uh, give you thanks for her. Lord, we lift up to you uh, 
the Maxwell family, we lift up Amanda, we lift up Zuri, and, and just ask that you would be with them, that they would honor you as they raise this daughter uh, in your ways. Lord, I pray that she might just grow to be a woman after your own heart, a Proverbs 31 type of woman that just uh, loves you and uh, serves you and, and honors you in all that she does. And so, Lord, we uh, lift her to you, we lift the family to you, and we ask for your protection. Lord, we ask for your continued provision. And Lord, we ask that you would uh, begin to unfold just the plan that you have for Emery, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, use her in powerful ways and mighty ways, even as a baby, Lord, that she might just um, be a blessing, a testimony of your goodness and faithfulness for the Maxwell family. So, Lord, we lift her to you. We thank you again for her. Thank you for the Maxwell family. Thank you for just healthy delivery and everything that went so well. Um, we give you all praise and honor because we know that it's really you who just had your hand upon the whole situation. So we thank you for her. Thank you for the family, and we lift them all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So chill. She's full. Yeah. Oh, so precious. She remembers your voice. Yeah. Oh. Wow. All right. Thank you. Right. Thank yeah. you so much. Hey. <laughs> wow. There's a reason God didn't maybe give us girls. I would be a pushover, I think. Um, well, we want to do, uh, also want to pray for our families that are going to be PCSing uh, this uh, week. And I do see in our comments that Ertels have reminded us that they're PCSing this week. Um, and I'm going to put the sad face on that one too. Oh, someone already loved it. I don't love that they're PCSing, but someone did. Um, but anyways... <laughs> We love them, and uh, we want to pray for them. I don't see anybody else on here, and so if I find out you left without telling me, I'm going to be really mad, okay? All right. Great. All right. Well, let's pray for the Ertel family. Uh, hopefully, you are streaming along. It sounds, looks like they are. Uh, let's lift them to the Lord. Even though they're not here, we can just pray for them. Father, we thank you for the Ertel family. Thank you for Dan and Andrea and Philip and Julia and, Lord, just the season that they, we've had with them here in Iwakuni and... Lord, I know uh, it's been uh, a blessing for myself individually uh, to get to know the Ertel family. Lord, thankful for them uh, plugging in and serving. Uh, a lot of people may not know, but uh, just doing some of the behind-the-scenes uh, ministry here at the church uh, that doesn't get a lot of uh, fanfare or a lot of spotlight, but very thankful for them and uh, the support that they've brought, the ministry that they've brought. And um, Lord, just ask that you would go uh, with them as they PCS this week, that you give them a great week as they uh, travel back stateside. Pray just that, I don't know what the quarantine situations are and all that kind of stuff. I, Lord, if they have to wait 14 days, Lord, just pray to you, whatever they have to go through, that you'd be with them through it all and that they just see your hand upon them. Lord, we pray for uh, Dan specifically as he's going to be transitioning to a new platform. I think he's going to some schooling, uh, and then he'll get reassigned, I, I believe, to another duty station or uh, 
air station somewhere. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, be with him as he uh, learns a, a new uh, plane to fly, a, a jet to pl fly, and I pray that you would just bless him and continue to uh, go before him, continue to uh, pave a, a path of uh, just your spirits leading and guiding. And Lord, we do acknowledge just your favor that has been upon him thus far, and we look forward to continued uh, favor. And so, Lord, we lift them to you. We love them. We thank you for the season that we had with them. Lord, if it be your will, we do ask that they might be able to come back. Um, always love praying these people back. And so, Lord, uh, they will always be Iwakuni family. And so uh, we just lift them to you and entrust them into your hands, Heavenly Father. Bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. If you guys see the Ertel family this week, make sure you say goodbye to them um, and let them know that we love them dearly, okay? That this is the part that I really don't like. I hate PCS season. I hate the fact that we're not able to see. Sorry, this is, I'm going to get off my, I won't go there. So let's just move on, all right? Okay, all right. Today is a special day for us, okay? Uh, not only did we get to pray for little Emery, uh, and the Maxwell family, along with the Ertel family, uh, but it's also Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Pentecost Sunday is a uh, traditional feast day on the Jewish calendar. It is a feast that comes exactly 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits, and the Feast of First Fruits is a day of celebration for us as believers because it was on the Feast of First Fruits that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, uh, defeating sin, death, and the grave, and becoming for us the first fruits of the resurrection. And because Jesus rose from the grave, we too have that same hope of a future resurrection, a life lived for the, uh, all of eternity with the Lord. Uh, and that's part of what we celebrate on Easter morning uh, each year, is that resurrection, that glorious hope that we have. And, and Pentecost uh, not only marks 50 days since uh, Easter, which we didn't get to celebrate together, uh, but online we were able to do that, uh, it also marks for us 10 weeks uh, as a church since our last Sunday morning service where we were able to gather freely. And Pentecost uh, was the day, if you're not familiar, it was the day on which the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples and empowered them for ministry. It was a day of empowering, a day of God's promises being fulfilled, a day where the first century church really started going out and impacting the world around them. And I find that it's very fitting that on this Pentecost Sunday that we have decided to once again open the church doors and have in-person services. Okay, we believe that just as God was wanting to do something significant on that first day of Pentecost, that likewise he desires to do a work here in our midst today as well. And so uh, we've decided to take a step of faith uh, and to see what the Lord may want to do, to give him an opportunity to move if he would so choose. And so we decided, let's just open the doors. We made this decision very early in the month. Uh, I was looking at it and praying and just said, you know what? Pentecost has got to be the day that we open back up, the, and we'll see what happens. Whoever can come can come, but for us, that's the day we're going to do it. It was a decision that we felt heavily the Lord leading us in, and so we've decided to do it. You know, uh, earlier this year in uh, February... Uh, I think it was the first Sunday in February, in fact, uh, before our study into the book of Galatians and before all of this COVID-19 stuff happened, we took a Sunday morning to assess where we were as a church. And we, and we took time to look at and to remind ourselves 
of the overall mission that I believe God has called us to as a church. And if you were with us, uh, you may recall uh, how we looked primarily to the first century church in the book of Acts and how the church began in the first place. We noted the way in in which uh, we believe God is leading us as a church, uh, how our responsibility is to simply be uh, led by the Spirit, to be empowered by the Spirit, to faithfully make disciples, to get into His Word, to fellowship together, to break bread together, and to pray together. And we believe that if we faithfully follow after the Lord in this manner, that He will do His part to add to the church and to provide for the church. And it has been challenging. It has been hard uh, to do some of those things the last few months. Uh, breaking bread together and fellowshipping together is hard to do when you can't get together. And praying together uh, is difficult to do as well. You can do it online and, and pray for each other, but doing it together is it's hard to do. And so uh, it's been a challenge for us the last couple of months. Uh, and I am very excited to hopefully return to fellowship together and breaking bread together and praying together and all the rest very soon, Lord willing. As we look to what we believe God has called us to as a church, we realize that a lot of things are connected and related to the events that took place on Pentecost Sunday some 2,000 years ago in the book of Acts chapter 2. The disciples were told to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, which came on the day of Pentecost. The disciples were told to wait for the empowering of the Holy Spirit, which also came on the day of Pentecost. Uh, the disciples were empowered to be witnesses, and they started to that business of making disciples on the day of Pentecost. And the Lord added to the church some 3,000 souls to, uh, to the church on that day of Pentecost. And at the end results that we read of after the day of Pentecost, at the end of chapter 2, is that the church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. And so, as we consider what God has called us to do, and keep in mind the events of the day of Pentecost some 2,000 years ago, I felt that it would be good to take a break from our regular study in the book of Ephesians and do something a little different this morning. This morning, I want to take some time to speak on the aspect of taking steps of faith and allowing the Lord an opportunity to do something. For the last couple of weeks, we have been hosting afternoon discussions regarding the Calvary distinctives. And if you haven't been able to see the videos, uh, we've posted them on our Facebook page for your viewing. If you'd like to check them out, you can. Now, when I say Calvary distinctives, uh, we're talking about things at Calvary Chapel that make Calvary the church that they are. The distinctives are not meant to divide the church. Okay? These are not uh, essential issues. These are not issues of salvation. Uh, these are non-essential non-essential issues that help to define our style and our approach to ministry. And um, one of those distinctives that we talked about just this last Thursday involves ventures of faith. A venture of faith is basically giving God an opportunity to do something. It involves stepping out in faith based upon what you feel the Spirit of God is leading and guiding you to do. As a church, we want to be involved in taking steps of faith and giving the Lord an opportunity to do something that otherwise would not have happened if we would have stayed put and not stepped out. And as I was preparing for that last online discussion, I was reminded of the account of Jonathan and his armor bearer. And I wanted to share that with you all this morning. And so our time together won't be an in-depth study like we normally would have, but more of a a long devotion where we just kind of pick out some major observations and and make note of them. 
The title of our study this morning is Ventures of Faith. Hey, Ventures of Faith. And we will be in the Old Testament this morning. I know normally on Sundays we're in the New Testament, but we're going to be in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And so go ahead and make your way to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 14. Okay, and just to get us going, I'm going to read the first three verses of the chapter. Uh, for those of you here in person, if I can invite you to please rise in honor of God and His Word. For those of you at home, you can rise too if you'd like. Of course, you can remain sitting on your couch and enjoying your coffee um, or whatever you may be doing. All right. First Samuel chapter 14. Again, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 3 to kind of get us going. The Lord writes for us in 1 Samuel verse, chapter 14, verse 1. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people were with him. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. We're going to stop right there and just ask God's presence to remain with us and to bless us as we get into his word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this wonderful privilege that we have to meet uh, and to seek your face. And I pray, Lord, that we will hear from you, Lord, for those here that are here in person, Lord, for those who are streaming, Lord, that your spirit would move in this place and in all the other places and environments where this is being streamed to. We ask that uh, you'd be honored and glorified, and we pray that we might understand a little bit more about taking steps of faith and taking ventures of faith and what you've called us to. And so, Lord, we submit our service to you, we submit our time and the word to you, and we expect great things. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Our text this morning uh, kind of jumps right into the middle of something interesting going on, and it's important that we note the background that has led to this situation for those of you who are not familiar uh, with this text, with this account. The beginning of 1 Samuel, the book, is really a continuation of the type of things that were taking place in the book of Judges. Okay, and if you're familiar with the book of Judges, it tells us of a time in Israel's history where they were continually being placed in bondage by the surrounding nations. Okay, most of the time, it followed a cyclical pattern of sorts. The Israelites would get caught up in sin and idolatry. They would subsequently be enslaved by the surrounding nations. They would then cry out to the Lord. The Lord would answer by raising up a judge to help deliver the nation, and the nation would be delivered, and then they would serve the Lord for a season. Inevitably, they would slink back into their sinful, idolatrous ways, and then they would fall back into the same cycle of sin, becoming enslaved, crying out to the Lord, the Lord providing a deliverer, um, them being uh, delivered, and uh, subsequently going back to serving God for a season. On and on, this went throughout the time of the judges. The last judge that God raised up to lead the people was the prophet Samuel. 
The book of 1 Samuel is a transitional book where the people move on from having judges raised up to lead them to a king. Prior to Samuel anointing the first king of the nation, okay, which is uh, Saul. Okay, it's a, uh, Bible points if you know that one. Okay, that's good. Uh, Bible trivia for the kids. Uh, Saul was the first king because uh, there was no other king over the people of Israel at that time. Really, the Lord, the God, was their king. Uh, and he was the one that who, who went with them and before them in their battles. But the people demanded a king, and the Lord had Samuel deliver a king to them. Now, during this time, the most notorious of the enemies the Israelites faced up against were the Philistines. The Philistines and the Israelites were constantly at odds with each other. And it just so happens that at the time of chapters 13 and 14 of 1 Samuel, the Philistines are exercising a lot of power over the land and over the Israelites. The Israelites had not wiped them out of the land, and they were in fact being lorded over by the Philistines in a lot of different ways. The Philistines had established strongholds throughout the land, and they were exercising authority. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13, okay, just the previous chapter, if you want to look through it and, and kind of glance over it, we see, we read of the first formal formation of a national army for the Israelites. An army of 3,000 soldiers were hired to serve Saul as a royal guard of sorts. Uh, Saul gave 1,000 of the troops to his son Jonathan, and Jonathan was placed in command over them, while Saul reserved 2,000 soldiers for himself. Okay, Jonathan, in chapter 13, with his 1,000 soldiers, decided to step out and to attack one of the Philistine strongholds, a garrison, a, a, basically a military post that was located in Geba, and God was with him and gave Jonathan a great victory. Okay, but we read in 1 Samuel 13 that after Jonathan attacked the garrison, Saul, his dad, decided to start blowing his own horn, and he spread word that it was actually him who attacked, who attacked the garrison. Okay, and all the people heard that it was Saul that had attacked the garrison, and the people rallied to Saul's side in anticipation of a Philistine retaliation. Well, the Philistines did not take too well to having one of their garrisons attacked, and they did gather their troops across from Saul at a place called Michmash. Okay? The size of army that the Philistines were able to amass was quite intimidating. Multiple thousands of chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. The Israelite soldiers were overwhelmed, and many of them abandoned their post, and they hid in surrounding caves and pits and thickets and holes in the surrounding hillsides. Some went into full retreat, crossing over the Jordan to the other side, and some even defected to the Philistine side, surrendering to them and becoming their prisoners. By the time it was all said and done, the troops with Saul were down to 600 soldiers, 600 against thousands of chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and soldiers that numbered like the sand of the seashore. Not favorable lots. Okay. Now, because the Philistines had been exercising authority throughout the land, there were no blacksmiths to be found during that time either. And so the army of Saul's men were armed with nothing more than their farm tools, plowshares, forks, and axes. The only people that had a sword and spear were Saul and Jonathan. The rest had no real weapons of warfare. 
The battle lines formed on opposite hillsides from one another, and things were not looking so great for Saul and his son Jonathan and the rest of the Israelites. And that's where chapter 14 picks up. Okay, that that's kind of sets the scene for us. We understand what's going on now a little bit. Okay, and, and here we read in these opening verses of how Jonathan wakes up one morning having a crazy idea. His thoughts were on the Philistines and what the Lord wanted to do considering the situation that they were in with battle lines drawn and camps stationed across from each other. This idea pops into his head and he decides to wake up his armor bearer and he tells him, hey, let's sneak over to the Philistines' garrison. You know, ventures of faith can often start out as just some crazy idea that the Lord plants in your head. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the crazy idea that God gave and planted into Pastor Mike Silva's head some 15 years ago when he decided to resign his commission in the United States Marine Corps and step out in faith, moving from Okinawa to Iwakuni with a crazy idea of planting a Calvary Chapel church here in Iwakuni. A lot of people were like, what are you doing? Hey, you're a, you know, an officer in the, in the Marine Corps and he's doing well for himself and God's calling. God put this thought in his head. It's a crazy idea. I'm going to walk away from that, and I'm going to serve the Lord. Now, interestingly enough, Jonathan does not tell his father, Saul, about this crazy idea. And it kind of begs the question, at least when I read it, it kind of begs the question to me, why? Okay, why wouldn't Jonathan tell Saul about this crazy idea of his? And while the scripture doesn't specifically tell us why, I think that perhaps Jonathan knew his father would not like the idea. Previously in chapter 13, Saul was very concerned with Jonathan going out and attacking the Philistine garrison, not so much concerned with the safety of his son or the troops under his command, but who would get the credit for the victory. Saul quickly started tooting his own horn and spread the word that it was him that attacked the Philistine garrison and rallied the people to himself. Okay, and I think Jonathan's aware of his father's own pride that's beginning to show his desire for the glory. This wasn't something that concerned Jonathan, so he decided not to tell his father. Now, the contrast between Jonathan to what Jonathan is doing and what Saul, his father, is doing is worth noting. Saul was on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree with Ahijah, the Lord's priest, from Shiloh. The king sat idly under the pomegranate tree, discouraged by the fact that his troops have abandoned their post, they've retreated or even surrendered to the Philistine side, and he and his men are severely outnumbered and they are outgunned. He's looking, and he's just sitting there in the tree looking at his 600 soldiers. While King Saul sits doing nothing, seemingly waiting for something to happen, his son is going out against the Philistine garrison with his armor bearer. You see, Saul was hesitating in unbelief while his son was acting by faith. And there are times where God will instruct us to wait. The days prior to Pentecost were just that for the first century church. They were told to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Spirit. And so waiting on the Lord is important when he tells us to wait. But sometimes we can sit on the sidelines for too long. Sometimes God is wanting to do something, wanting to see if there's any who are willing to step out and to step up uh, in faith. Saul was sitting there doing nothing, 
But Jonathan was willing to take a venture of faith and see what the Lord may want to do. You know, another thing I think that is important to note before we move on is the fact that nobody else knew about Jonathan being gone either, okay? This bit of information lets us know that Jonathan wasn't in it for his own glory, okay? He wasn't going around rallying people behind him and trying to gain the support of the people to his cause, okay? He wasn't going around tooting his own horn like his father had done previously, okay? He didn't want anyone to know that he was going over to the Philistine garrison because it wasn't about him, but more so it was about the Lord and what he may want to do. And so let's continue reading verses 4 and 5. It says, Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side, and the name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sene. We're given here a description of the layout of the land that Jonathan, Jonathan would have to pass through in order to reach the Philistine garrison. The Philistine garrison was located between two rocky crags or cliffs, kind of depending on what translation you're reading, both words are used here. These two large stones actually had names. Now, this may seem like useless information when we read it. You may think to yourself, who cares what the names of these rocks are, right? What, what's the point? And while it may not be significant, it is interesting to consider why God felt it important to include the names of these rocks in the Holy Scriptures, okay? The name of one of these rocks was called Bozes, and the name of the other was Sene. Now, if you look up the meaning of these names, you will come to find out that the name Bozes means glistening, while the name Sene means thorny, Okay. And standing in between Jonathan and the Philistine garrison stood two great rock faces that literally stand for glistening and thorny. And I like what Pastor John Corson pointed out in his commentary about the names of these two rocks. He noted how these two rocks stood between Jonathan and the enemy and how that is often the case for us as well. He notes that there are all kinds of glistening rewards and riches if we will engage in the battle. But there is also no shortage of thorny challenges and difficulties as well. You see, whether or not that was the intent the Lord had for uh, including the names of these rocks, I can't say with certainty. But what Pastor John points out is true. When we step out in faith and we take ventures of faith, there are great, a great deal of wonderful rewards to be had spiritually. But there are also some challenges, and we should anticipate both. The key is not allowing those challenges to keep you from following through with what the Lord has placed upon your heart. Continuing on, we read in verses 6 through 10, really the game plan for Jonathan. It's very simple. <laughs> then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come. Let us go over to the garrison of these, of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, Wait until we come to you then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, 
Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. As Jonathan and his armor bearer near the garrison of the Philistines, Jonathan divulges his great game plan, okay, his great military strategy, right? His great military campaign was based on nothing more than faith that God might choose to deliver Israel through the hands of two men who were willing and available. He says, It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Willingness and availability are two very important characteristics that God looks for in people who He desires to use. And I think the question that we must all ask ourselves this morning is, are you willing to step out for the Lord? Are you available for Him to use? God can do amazing things when He finds someone who by faith will make themselves willing and available. Jonathan was willing to step out for the Lord and give God an opportunity to do something amazing. No doubt Jonathan knew the stories of the judges in years past, stories of Gideon and his 300-man army going up against the Midianites, or maybe even uh, the account of Shamgar who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Not only did he know the history of his people, but he also knew the promises of God's word. Leviticus chapter 26, verses 7 and 8 says, You will chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 23 says, But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 7, The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face, that you shall come out against that they shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Joshua chapter 23, verse 10 says, One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. You see, Jonathan was exercising great faith here, but it was not a blind faith. It wasn't a faith in himself, but rather God. He had history and he had God's word as pillars to stand upon. And I believe that we too, when faced with difficulties and obstacles, we need to be reminded of these same things. That the same promises in God's word are for us as well. Not only do we have the promises of the Old Testament, but look at what the New Testament tells us. It tells us if God is for us, who can be against us? Not only do we need to look to God's word when confronted with trials and tribulations, but we should look to our history as well. Times when God has shown up in incredible ways. When we were rem- When we are reminded of great deliverance in the past, it comforts us knowing that the same God who got us through then is the same God who will see us through in our present circumstances. Now, I absolutely love the armor bearer's response to Jonathan's game plan. (laughs) He says, do all that is in your heart, Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. 
Basically, Jonathan's armor bearer simply says, I'm with you all the way, man. Let's do it. Let's go for it. Oh, how desperately the church needs more Jonathans to take steps of faith, but also more armor bearers who are willing and available to come alongside others and to support them in the calling that God has placed upon their heart. I am so grateful for the men and women that God has brought our way through the years here at Calvary Iwakuni, people who are willing to come alongside and to support the work and get involved in the work, who believed in the work that we were doing and wanted to see God do something. These kinds of people are so vital to the health of the church. We are always, okay, we are always looking for more armor bearers, okay? People that are willing to say, I see the vision that you're going, and I'm with you all the way. Let's go for it. Let's do it. I'm here to do just whatever's in your heart. Let's make it happen. Pastor David Guzik, he wrote in his commentary the following regarding the response of the armor bearer. He said this, God was going to use Jonathan, but he wasn't going to use Jonathan alone. Almost always when God uses a man, he calls others around that man to support and help him. They are just as important in getting God's work done as the man God uses to lead. And so if you can't be a Jonathan, Pastor David Guzik writes, then find a Jonathan and attach yourself to him like Jonathan's armor bearer. And all I can add to that is a, is a hearty amen. Amen to that, okay? If God hasn't called you to be that, you know, person that's taking the lead and taking those great ventures of faith, find someone that is and come alongside them and, and, and watch God do amazing things. Well, Jonathan, he continues the game plan explaining that what they will do is show themselves to the Philistines. And if the Philistines tell them to stay where they are, then the Lord is not in it. But if they say to come up, then that will be a sign that the Lord's going to deliver the Philistines into their hands. And this mentioning of a sign is interesting to note because it may remind us of another individual who asked for a sign, an individual from the book of Judges. Okay, some of you may be familiar with the account of Gideon who asked for several signs from the Lord through the use of a fleece. Okay, he wanted to be sure of the success of God's plan and he wanted to test the word that God had given to him. So he set out a fleece in front of the threshing floor. He asked God to only put dew on the fleece and leave the rest of the ground dry and God did just that. Well, then Gideon asked again and said, basically, well, this time I want the fleece to be dry and I want all the ground to be wet. And the Lord actually did, just as Gideon requested again. And, and some may look at this example of Gideon and think that it's a good example to follow and that, you know, we should throw out our own fleeces and we should test God and his word. Okay, this isn't something that we should be doing. Okay. We should not be doing that. If God's given us his word and he's told us what to do, we don't test it. Okay. We, you know, he's not afraid of his word being tested, but there's a simple act of like, he's already spoken. Why do you have to keep on asking him to confirm it over and over and over again? Okay. Some mistakenly point to what Jonathan is doing and they associate, associate it with what Gideon did. But the accounts are very different. And I want to be able to just make that distinction. 
Okay, Jonathan is acting out of boldness and faith in what he thinks God may want to do, while Gideon was acting out of constant fear in what he felt God would not be able to do. Okay, and also a very distinct difference in these two examples is that Gideon had already been visited by the angel of the Lord, and he was given a word from the Lord himself that he was going to use Gideon to deliver his people. Jonathan had no such visit. He had no such word from the Lord. Just this crazy idea that the Lord gave to him, and he thought, you know what? What's it to the Lord, to save by many or save by few? Let's go see if God wants to do something. <laughs> And so we see that these two examples, though they, they both refer to seeking a sign, one was clearly not something that we should look to emulate, while the other, I believe, shows us an example of giving the Lord room to operate. Jonathan had a crazy idea. He trusted in God. He had faith to believe that God could save with just a few as easily as, as he could with many, and he wanted to step out and see what God would do. But he also was mindful enough to give God an opportunity to close the door if that wasn't what he wanted. God, if you aren't in it, then close the door. Okay? That is a prayer that I have prayed many times. Often, I, I, I confess, that is a prayer I often pray. God, if you're not in it, close the door. Okay? And, and I want to know his will and all the decisions that we make around here. And I want to make sure that I'm not doing something that he doesn't want to do. And so we always want to give him that veto power. Lord, if this isn't what you want us to do, close the door. Okay? Don't, or if you want us to go, the, keep this door open that we might know and just walk through it. And I feel like God may be you know, leading in a certain way sometimes, but I don't want to force my feelings or thoughts through. I always want to give God the freedom to shut down any idea or action that he isn't in. And we need to have that same approach. Sometimes some people get really passionate about something. Oh, the Lord's giving me this. And it's just roadblock, 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 roadblock. And, and sooner or later, you got to say, you know what? Maybe God's trying to say no. Okay. Maybe God's saying not now. Okay. Maybe it's later. Okay. And, and we need to be willing to say, okay, God, you have the rights to close the doors and open the doors and, and to lead. And so we have to give the Lord that, that freedom to do so. I de depend upon him to do so, in fact. I depend upon the Lord to close the doors. God can close doors that no man can open, and he can open doors that no man can shut. And I don't want to find myself ever trying to open a door that he's closed, or vice versa, trying to close a door that he has opened. Well, let's continue on reading verses 11 through 15. It says, so both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. Verse 14, it says that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about a half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it was a very great trembling. We'll stop right there. Jonathan and his armor bearer, they reveal themselves to the Philistines and they are invited up. Okay, remember, that was the, hey, if they invite us up, the Lord's in it. Okay, let's go for it. 
And we get this sense that perhaps the Philistines thought that these two were some of those who had gone in hiding after seeing the size and the might of the Philistine troops. You know, in chapter 13, as I previously mentioned, there were all a whole bunch of Israelites who hid in the caves throughout the hillsides, and there were others who surrendered outright to the Philistines, and some fled for their lives across the Jordan River. The Philistines thought that Jonathan and his armor-bearer were timid soldiers who were trying to surrender or defect to the Philistine side. They were very wrong, okay? <laughs> they were very wrong. Jonathan and his armor-bearer, they climbed up on their hands and knees to the Philistines, and they started taking them out. Jonathan would knock them over. His armor-bearer would take them out. Before the Philistines knew it, 20 of them lay dead on the floor. And I think it worth noting the position of Jonathan as he went forward with this crazy idea of giving God an opportunity to do something. And I know that this is perhaps over-spiritualizing matters here, and I don't normally like to do this, but consider with me, Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees. When we take steps of faith, when we take ventures of faith, we need to be willing to get on our hands and knees. We need to be willing to get our hands a little dirty. We need to be willing to spend some time on our knees in prayer. We need to spend time on our faces in worship as well. Okay, if our steps of faith don't involve prayer, okay, they don't involve getting on our face and worship and seeking the Lord, if they don't involve us actually getting our hands a little dirty, well, don't be surprised if things don't work out. I'm not saying that all these things have to happen. God can do whatever He wants, however He wants, with whomever He wants. But I do think there is a principle here for us to glean about stepping out in faith through prayer, through worship, and through service. Obviously, any victories obtained, any gained ground will be a result of God's grace upon us, but God's grace is not meant to be used as a reason for neglect on our own part. They went up on hands and, and, and knees, and I think it's a great picture of us. In verse 15, we see the Lord step in on the offense as well. The Lord causes a great fear and trembling to overcome the Philistines. And not only does he cause the people to tremble, but even the very ground they stood upon started shaking. Let's continue. Verses 16 through 23, we'll wrap this all up. It says, Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away, and they went here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For at the time the ark of God was with them, children of Israel. And now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. And then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled, and they went to the battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim when they heard that the Philistines... Uh, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. And so the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. When the ground started shaking and a great noise came from the enemy camp, the watchmen for Saul took notice. 
They saw before their eyes the multitude melting away. Okay, in the King James Version, it actually reads that the people went on beating down one another. So great was the fear and terror placed upon the Philistines that they began to kill one another just as God had promised in his word. Well, Saul immediately demands a roll call to see who was gone, and it was his son, Jonathan, and his armor bearer. You know, there's no indication in the scripture as to how Saul specifically felt about that, though the scripture says that to the group it was surprising to find Jonathan and his armor bearer absent from the roll call. I do wonder if Saul was truly surprised at all. For Jonathan had already shown himself to be a man willing to step out, man willing to step up, man willing to see what God would do. Just in chapter 13, he went and attacked a Philistine garrison. So it's like, oh, someone else is attacking a Philistine garrison. Who is it? Of course, it's Jonathan again. In verse 18, Saul does something a bit strange. He calls for the ark. Now, some transcripts translate the word for ark as the ephod. Uh, Whether it was the ark or the ephod really isn't all that important, to be honest with you. Okay, the strange thing is that Saul would take the time to do so. Obviously, the Lord is in this thing. The battle is already going on, and the Lord is working mightily through Jonathan and his armor bearer. And to me, it seems more like a weak attempt by Saul's part to seem holy or to seem zealous rather than a genuine search of God's heart. And we're given further evidence of this in what verse 19 tells us, where basically Saul tells the priest just to, just to quit and give up. Okay, if you are reading from the New Living Translation, it's an interesting paraphrase of verse 19. This is what it says. It says, But while Saul was talking to the priest, the confusion in the Philistine camp grew louder and louder. So Saul said to the priest, Never mind, let's get going. Never mind, let's get going. Okay, Saul sees that his chance for taking credit for this victory is spreading thin. He needs to engage if he's going to get any recognition from this battle. He wasn't concerned about God or what God was doing. To me, it seems as though all he noticed was the battles being won without him. And he feels this pressure, this need to get over there so that he can still take credit for the victory. You know, sometimes we can find ourselves following after the example of Saul to some degree. We see that God is moving. We know what God has called us to, but we want to spiritualize things and pray about something that God's already clearly called us to. God's already clearly given us direction for. And I believe this can happen in church a lot. God is at work, and He's looking for people to step up and to get involved, to take a step of faith. And He's called them, and He's already shown them through their own devotion time, through their own prayer time, that He wants them involved. But when presented with the opportunity to get involved, the response can sometimes be, well, let me, let me pray about that, okay? And, uh, and we'll see, and, and you know, I'll get back to you. You know, I, I'm all for prayer, okay? And every step of faith needs to be taken through prayer and seeking of the Lord. But if God has already spoken, if he has already shown you what really is there to pray about, what it really boils down to is a matter of obedience. Will you be obedient to step up, to step out, and to give God a chance to move? 
You see, there is a time when prayer needs to lead to action. Saul needed to get into the fight and stop sitting on the sidelines. And maybe that's a word for for some of you this morning. I don't know what the Lord's been showing you lately, but perhaps He's already spoken to you about something. He's already revealed His desire to you. And you don't need to spend more time in prayer about it because it's already been made clear. It's time to step up. It's time to step out. It's time to give God a chance to do something amazing. Verse 20 tells us that Saul's army joined the battle, but it was still the Philistines' own swords who were doing the damage as confusion still baffled them and they continued to put their sword against one another. Verses 21 and 22 tells us that those who had hidden in the caves previously were now coming out. Those who had defected once again churned and joined the Israelites in battle. And I believe that this is something worth noting as we finish up our study here. Okay? When God prompted Jonathan to move, to step out in faith, to take a venture of faith, he provided him his armor bearer to be by his side. But also we read of how those who had previously defected to the Philistines, those who had went into hiding, were stirred up to join the fight. You see, when people take steps of faith, when people take ventures of faith, and God starts working and doing amazing things, you know what happens? It encourages others to do the same. Taking steps of faith and joining the Lord in ventures of faith is contagious. Okay, that's a taboo word right now. We don't want to talk about things that are contagious. Okay? I thought it was so funny that one of the songs we sang was Give Us Clean Hands. Thank you, Keegan, for that. Okay? Taking ventures of faith is contagious. Okay? And I love how it is those who had previously hidden and removed themselves from the battle lines who are now being seen joining the fight. I love how it's those who had previously surrendered themselves to the enemy who are now taking a stand against the enemy. I believe in many ways this is true still today. That when we take steps of faith and we give opportunity for the Lord to do something and encourages others to do the same, especially it encourages those who perhaps felt like they didn't have anything to offer or those who were simply fearful of failing Or even more so, those who in the past had already surrendered to the enemy and they felt in bondage to the world and in bondage into sin. Those kinds of people start to see God working. And they're encouraged in their faith to step out for the Lord as well and to join the fight with the Lord. It is my strong conviction and belief that God has a plan for each and every one of us. And I do not believe that any of us are called to sit out the fight. There will be seasons for sure. And there will be times where we are perhaps more engaged in the fight than at other times. But none of us are called to sit the fight out. And I believe that God is at work today. I believe that he is wanting to do something special here in Iwakuni. I believe that he's wanting to do something special in our community and in the lives of the people of this church. We need to get involved. In the things of the Lord, we need to step up, step out, and see what God would want to do. Amen? Verse 23 gives credit where credit was due. It says, so the Lord saved Israel that day. It wasn't about what Jonathan did. 
but about what the Lord did through willing and available vessels. God always gets the glory. It's all about Him and His work. We're just blessed. We're blessed that He invites us to be a part of it. He says, I'll choose you. I'll use you. If you want to take a step of faith, let's go for it. I believe that's the word that God has for us as a church. As we consider just taking this step of faith and saying, you know, we're going to open up the doors. We're just going to see what God wants to do. Okay? And I don't know how long the restrictions are going to remain. I know there's the constant fear if something happens and it's going to, you know, lock down even tighter again and, and that might be even longer. I don't know what's going to happen. But I do believe with everything in my heart God wants to do something. And I believe that every bit of my heart that he wants us to be a part of it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this opportunity to gather together in person. Lord, uh, what a blessing it is to see people actually looking back at me. Um, Lord, um, thank you for those who were able to stream this content with us this morning. I pray that you would just bless them and that your word would penetrate uh, across these internet uh, waves and, and stream in, into different homes and households throughout Iwakuni, throughout, around this world, really, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you have called all of us to be active members of the body of Christ. Lord, that none of us have been called to, to sit on the, the sidelines forever and, and never do anything. Lord, you're pleased when your children step up and step out and give you an opportunity to do something. Lord, I pray that we would be like that. I pray that we would be like Jonathan, that we would be like the armor bearer, that, you know, is either one's either just moving forward in, in all that you've shown them, the other just coming alongside and supporting as much as they can. Lord, may you bring Jonathans into the church. May you bring armor bearers into the church. May we be the Jonathans and the armor bearers within the church. We ask and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to close with one last song. So Keegan and Meyer are going to sing, uh, and then they'll dismiss you guys. Um, we do want to limit fellowship there. If you wanted to get a coffee to go, I think we have some to-go coffee, if you want to grab some coffee. Caleb's going to be over there. His hands will be washed, and he'll. Uh, you can ask for creamer or whatever. He's got the coffee ready to go for you guys. Uh, other than that, man... I cannot tell you how blessed I am to see your guys' faces and how much it encourages me just to know, okay, God, you're wanting to do stuff and you're still doing stuff and you're drawing people to you and um, how exciting it is to be a part of what God's doing. So thank you guys for coming. Thank you guys for streaming online. Look forward to what God has for us in the coming weeks. Hopefully we're going to come together again as a whole, as a church family very soon. That's my prayer. I hope that you would join me with me in that prayer. Let's worship the Lord.